I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Ducky? learning more about this whole uh, Ukrainian thing and apparently have you ever heard a guy I forgot his is Victor uh, Bandera he was like the founder of Ukraine but he aligned himself with the Nazis and like massacred a whole bunch of Poles and Jews hmm. and apparently we have been giving money to the right wing in the Ukraine who like have has glorified this guy it's apparently illegal to talk shit about him and we're basically funding neo Nazis. We we are currently yeah, currently because they're yeah. the neo Nazis are fighting the Russians, so we're fight yeah. we're funding the neo Nazis. Well, I hate to break it to you guys, but neo Nazism is in, which is very concerning to me. In right now, it's in. Yeah, it's in. So that's look at those island scary. boys. Island the the master race of island boys. <laughs> they're in jail now, aren't they? I don't know. I think we got to ask. That's why we need Mike back. Yeah, Mike's in Alabama. We're, we're yeah. just a. This is a cold open, right? Yeah, why not? For sure. Yeah, why not? Hey, Talking about topical uh, subjects. Right, exactly. Hello, welcome yeah. to Roast Mortem. It's uh, the the best show to cite on your your research papers or whatever. I, it's been a we week. We got a new one. I coined us. We put the oral and historally. <laughs> okay. Uh, You've been gone a long time, my friend. I, you don't know that history has oral sex now. I've yep. been in bed for a long time with no sex. Doctor's orders. Doctor what? ordered it. Yeah. He said, no thrusting while your head is uh, almost busting. Because it was. He's, it was a leaking brain so matter. no blowing your nose and no blowing loads. Yeah. No, no blowing dudes. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to wait. Uh, my, my voice is basically the same. You'll have to yeah. wait two two weeks until I could blow my nose. Get all that snot to out. To get the snot out. Yeah. To get mm. more of the head tone. Then we'll hear what you sound like. Yeah. He's like evolution, like two right now. If you're a Pokemon, exactly. So uh, if like, this is your first be there. first time listening to the show, it's actually a lightweight show now because I don't have these giant adenoids and tonsils getting in the way, garbling get my them. words. Mm -hmm. Get them out. Uh, get those bitches out. They're out now. Did you, did they show? Did they dangle them in front of your face when they got them out? Like, check this out. No, nah, bro. I'm gonna chance. go. Re I'm going right into this. How was my week? Because it's been <laughs> it's been three weeks since I've yeah. Talk to you, seen you. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do that. I'm gonna be selfish. I'm getting right in front of this. I had the operation. Uh, if you don't need to get your tonsils taken out, then don't just willy nilly <laughs> yourself into it. <laughs> don't take this, don't volunteer for a surgery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't think it's cute. Yeah. Don't think it's cute because at 33, what a despicable year I am to lose all this weight in my <laughs> yeah. neck. Dude, yeah, but think about those extra, like, what, few ounces you don't need to go to the gym for. That's right. That's true. Uh, but I am yeah. trying to bulk up, so it's counterintuitive. Either mm. way, oh. um, yes, I had the operation. I had four operations in one go. Wow. They did the whole thing. They did a nose graft. So I'm technically, I have plastic surgery now. Wow. All and right. Tom's going to go into Hollywood. I look more handsome now because what they've done is they've taken my nose and actually straightened it out for better breathing. Yeah, they made your face better. Uh -huh. Yeah. There's no more good side. It's all good. There you go. All good. Yeah, I used all to be good, my dog. left side was my good side. Now I'm willing to... My good side is my face. I will John Barrymore 
any way you want. Wow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tom, you were talking about nose splints. Tell me more about those things. So if you could imagine this, like imagine taking a bar coaster, one of those okay. round uh, joints that say, you know, it's Miller time or whatever, and f- and turning it into I'm a I'm looking tube. at one right now. It says yeah. Roast Mortem cast. We have. Turning into yeah. a tube, like a taco, actually, but like a tube on one end. Mm-hmm. That was in my nose for 10 days on wow. each nostril. I didn't know this until they Whoa. took them out. Uh, yeah, because they fixed my septum. And part of that is they just, I guess they just like take a little hammer or something and just kind of in there. And then they put these forms in there to let it uh, become its new yeah. godly shape, which it is. What happens to those things? Well, what happens is, is that you go to the doctor and they're actually kept in place by a little septum piercing of a stitch oh like, so your nose pierced too yeah oh my god now you've got Dude, did you get a really long nose ring coming out of your septum <laughs> yeah that's what i'm dealing with actually i can't oh. pick my nose and there's like all these weird scabs in there and i t- touch them and it's, uh it's, it's strange Ooh. there's like a little horse hoof in here right now see i've got that going on now too but i think it's because my septum's dissolving mm. too much of that baby powder uh no it's just too much sweat from the gym getting in my nose oh careful Careful with that. Anyway, so operation successful. Ten days later, they take these uh, coasters, folded up coasters out of my head. I didn't even realize they were in there. I knew there was something in there. I didn't know how big they were until the uh, in front of my wife, of all people, mm-hmm. this this woman comes up to me and takes these long tubes out of my body. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I couldn't talk day 10. I still... So I was... <laughs> uh, for the listener, Tom is making faces. Yeah. 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 So a um, couple more thoughts. I used this time to research a two-parter. I'm very excited to share that with you guys. But also to watch films because I like film, guys. I like a lot of films. So as of today, from the last time we talked, I've watched 50 films. Oh, my God. Oh, God damn, dude. I don't know if I've seen 50 movies in a year. <laughs> I've seen 72 this year. <laughs> damn. Yeah. Um, Films. Yeah, they're a lot of good ones, a lot of garbage ones. I definitely recommend uh, The Pygmalion, 1932, I think. A lot of older stuff. All right. Watched uh, Soothing Black and White, Thin Man, things like that. Uh, the Killing, Stanley Kubrick's first feature. Very I haven't good. seen that one. Hayden Sterling, very good, mm. very good actor, uh, who I, I might look into oh, to right. cover, because you guys know I like the Hollywood people. Have, you, is, have you done Kubrick, or is he, is he not even dead yet? Oh, he oh, died. Kubrick. He died, uh, actually, Jeffrey Epstein killed him. Oh, for real? Yeah. For real, yeah, for Jeffrey real? Epstein was on the moon landing hoax, and then killed him. Wow. Yeah. It was, that uh, he filmed. That Eyes Wide Shut. Because that was like, basically Bill Clinton was having sex with people on the set of Eyes Wide Shut, and he kept shooing him away. Mm. Kubrick was like, you're in my shot. This is a movie. He's particular. Not your weekend. He's like, you, your, your pubes are too gray for this shot. <laughs> so he kept chasing him away, and, he, and then Epstein came in and killed him. I know enough about Kubrick where he would be a good roast, for sure. Yeah, I, I would love to do that. Uh, Watch Strangelove, too. Um, mm. Hadn't seen that in a while. And how I had sexual intercourse with a nuclear weapon. No, I've never seen Doctor Strange Love. I feel like I'd really like it. I've seen the clips from it and know the story. So excellent film. Hayden Sterling, the guy who I mentioned in the killing, is the uh, general who begins the end of the world. Oh, what's, you know that? what's the name again? It's like general. It's like a weird general name, right? Uh, like there's name? so George C. Scott. Spoilers: We're doing George C. Scott. That's a two-parter. He plays General Buck 
Turgeon. Turgeon? Right. Yeah. Which apparently but he's a fluoride. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's Hayden Sterling. Oh. And Hayden Sterling is Hayden Christensen's great grandfather. The guy who played Anakin. I can't say sure. that that's not the case. <laughs> yes, but that's how it works. And Hayden Panettiere, the girl from Heroes, is his daughter. Yeah, that's how it works. They're just trading first names. Yeah. Hayden. <laughs> yeah, they just said they do it by the first name. It's a weird, it, weird family. Very it's weird. Not a great first name. I'll just throw it out there. I, I don't think it's terrible. There's worse ones, but hey. 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 All right. Um, before I say enough about me, I have one other thing. Um, the o- opioid crisis. Yeah. I had to handle my own opioid crisis. <laughs> they don't give you a lot of drugs coming out of that. They give you a five-day supply, and I definitely needed an eight. Mm. Mm. I was able to get my 10-day supply eventually, but I was already in pain. I basically was just in the worst pain <laughs> of my life on day seven of recovery. Right after the, the pills ran out. Yeah. <laughs> and I had stretched them out. I was like, I did the math. I was like, I only have five days worth. So day four and five, I slowed it down, or six, yeah, rather. Yeah, let me take some more time between the doses. Yeah. Didn't work. And they were like, why don't you just call us? They kept us waiting all day, too, because apparently the insurance company, they love getting involved in everything. And they're like, oh, you don't oh, want to yeah. pay for these out of pocket. No, no. You wouldn't no. want to do that. And Gab's like, she has to be on the phone. Because you can't talk. I can't yeah, talk. you can't talk. We're waiting for four hours for the insurance company to clear this. And then Gab goes, wait a minute, how much is it out of pocket? $15. I was like, I I would have easily paid, I would have paid $300 that day, no problem. Just for those one day bucks. $15. They held me up for four hours, the worst pain of my life. It's the cost of a deli hero and a bag of chips. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, so you're so you're you were involved in two great American pastimes, opioids and insurance, dealing with insurance companies, <laughs> right? Health insurance scams. Yeah, and here's another one because the same story ties into day twelve. The other unintended side effect of the opioid crisis, not as dramatic as dying or right. doing something irresponsible like falling asleep at the wheel of your Hyundai Sonata. Mm. Uh, <laughs> But shitting. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Did you just have to reach up in there and just grab it? Pull it on out? Is it like a waterfall or is it constipation? I gave birth. Oh, God. I gave birth uh, constipation. It's it's an incredible pain. Yeah. I I almost passed out in the bathroom a few times trying to squeeze this little (laughs) nugget out. And I can't really push much because if I do, my nose is going to start bleeding all over the place. Oh, jeez. So there I am with King in the Hill on in the background. Leaning against the tile wall. Blacking out, listening to Boomhauer's voice, just be like, just happy thoughts, pass it. <laughs> dang old one, I want a dang old baby. I highly recommend it. If you're going to do something frivolous like I did, like put yourself into a handicap situation and you need Oxycontin, take a laxative every day. Go all out. Dude, yeah. Swiss Chris, dude. I still use Swiss Chris just for fun. Just yeah. because. Just I for hanging out. I thought of you. I thought of you, yeah. and I thought of Willie Armstrong. I mean, uh, Louis Armstrong there. Loving that, loving like yep. this. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, guys. I just stole the show for uh, Hey, we six needed minutes. a big update. Yeah, catching time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate your ears, and I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. How was your week? I'll keep mine short and sweet, also because not much notable happened this week. Uh, went to a friend's house to watch the Super Bowl. It was a good time. Awesome. Ate some wings, some pizza. 
And then yeah. uh, on Friday started a new D and D campaign. Very excited to get playing. It was Ooh. just a session zero, so we're just like planning out what's coming. And, uh, now, are you playing awesome. in person, or are you playing with that like D and D playing online in person? Thing? Woo! Yeah, I did All a right. did a Zoom campaign during the early parts of the pandemic, and now it's good to be back in person. Hell yeah! yeah. Hell yeah! Should be a fun time. Good. I'm glad to hear it. What about you, Travis? How was your week? Uh, well, I've picked up. So we've got football. We've got. Uh, we've got health insurance. We got opioids. I picked up on another great American tradition. Been playing a lot of uh, Cyberpunk 2027 or whatever the fuck it is. 2077. Nice. Does it work? Uh, I heard it doesn't work. They update it. You just had to wait for these games. You just got to wait. It's great. I love it. But anyway, I've been paying a lot of money on cigarettes, so I figured I'd get myself a douche flute. So now Ooh. I'm a, now I'm vaping. Now I'm a great American vapor. Nice. Oh, God. Uh, Dude, it's one of the ones you fill it up with juice. I'm just puffing on some razzle dazzle or some shit like this. I don't know. Do so you you're not a... going analog anymore? No, I am. I'm just <laughs> supplementing it with do you, vape. Do you have a weed vape? Because then what you do is you tape them together and you get a 21st century spliff. It's delicious. Ooh. Really, uh, really no, melts I, your brain right at the start. Yeah, no, I think one puff would put me on another planet. I'm not a weeder. Yeah. I I did so. it once and it uh. It's quite the experience, let me tell you. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just a straight American douche flute. So but yeah, that's me. I'm just what I'm doing. I like the vapes. Alright, Travis, that's enough of your week and uh whatever the hell we were talking about. I know people were very interested when I was talking. I don't know about you guys, but um <laughs> Connor <laughs> Tell us who's on the chopping block. Well, I just could not get enough of the Krups. We loved Alfred, loved talking about his love of horse shit, so I thought, why not just keep following this familial dynasty all the way to their ruin? Why not? Right? Dude, I love the Krups. Like, I, this is like this is like the big heads in Rocco's Modern Life. These are just dopey, large-headed steel boys and girls of Germany. Yep. They love to smell shit. <laughs> I, I don't think Ed Bighead was anything like the Krups. <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't a corporate man, dude. He worked for uh, Corpo Blamo or whatever the fuck it was. He was very low level. Uh, all right. That's yeah. what made him so disgruntled. Mm. Sorry, I don't mean to piss in your cereal, but here I am. Well, today we're going to be talking about a few Krups. So some of them might fit the Mr. Big Head. Uh, one of them, I think, is going to be very... He's got a very Mr. Burns type of character. Okay. Like, he kind of rev just revels in being evil. Mm. So, first... Where'd we leave off? We left off when Alfred passed away. It was the 1880s. The German Empire is at its zenith. They had just secured their freedom and independence, mainly due to Alfred's guns. Yeah, and we were talking about Otto von Biz, too. Otto von him Biz. and Otto von. They were getting along well. Alfred um, was getting a little senile in his old days, was making up weird cannon plans, and his son, who was basically running the firm, kind of just made Alfred go sit in a corner and draw up diagrams and... Told people at the firm, you know, don't listen to dad anymore. When you get Smart. old, yeah. no one wants to listen to you. Just shut up. Yeah, and shut it's a up and go recurring away. theme of the Krups that they go senile in their old age. Um, but yeah. we'll get there. For right now, who's taken over after Alfred? Well, it could be no one else other than his eldest son, Friedrich Krupp. And if you remember, little Fritz, as he was known in the family, um, spent most of his childhood with his mother, uh, going to the Riviera, because remember, she was like, I don't like horse shit. I'm going to leave this horseshit-infested estate and bring my boy to the southern coast of France in Italy. Right. She was partially right. sane. Yeah. She was like, I'm yeah. going to get out of here. 
If you haven't, I'm going to stop any of the listeners here. If you haven't listened to the first two parts of Crouch, probably should go back and listen because uh, that mama just was like, fuck you. Uh, I don't want to be around stinking. Yes. Yeah. And this is beyond a two parter. This is, we're getting into lore here. So definitely go back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is like the Sopranos at this point. Exactly. Uh, so who is Fritz? Who is little Friedrich? What was he like? Well, kind of similar to his dad in some ways, but in other ways, much more like his mother. Um, he was much more kind of straight laced, less paranoid than his dad and way quieter and more reserved. And he was much more of a true like businessman rather than Alfred who like wanted to be on the factory floor, getting his hands dirty, drawing up designs. Okay. Friedrich was much more... Let me do the business deals. I'm going to hire the people to do all the designs and that shit. That's Friedrich's role. All right. Now, so Fritz, we're not going to talk too much about him because he's going to be short, tragic life, as we'll see. But he was the, one of the first arms manufacturers to dis- deploy, um, display the seesaw method of arms development. Now, what that meant is one month, he'd have all the heads of state from the various militaries come by and he'd say, look at our new nickel plate armor. Nothing can pierce it. No guns can get through it. Build your navies out of this. And everyone go wild. They'd be ordering huge amounts of plate armor. Firm's money would skyrocket. And then four months later, seemingly as a miracle, he'd be like, look, I made a new cannon. And it can pierce that nickel plate armor that I just sold to all of you. Oh. And they're like, oh, shit. Now we got to buy this new cannon that can pierce all the nickel plate armor. And then three months later, he'd be like, wait, I came up with even better armor that the new shell can't pierce. It's like uh, a very Apple technique. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like planned obsolescence. Yep. I feel like that happens probably a lot now with body armor. They're always like, oh, we got this new type of Kevlar that, you know, no one can shoot through. And it's like, oh, Billy Joe just bought himself an AR and it can shoot through it. Oh, but we got this one now. It's so much better. Yeah, and all of it's being produced by Smith & Wesson. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the body armor yeah. and the shells. Yeah, so that was Friedrich. He was one that first really pioneered that technique. Um, he was just as much obsessed as his dad was as with making money. You know, that was a corrupt family thing where they always wanted to like just sit on a pile of wealth but whereas alfred just wanted to sit on it and have it friedrich was much more likely to spend it and enjoy it he okay. liked being rich right he he was on the sit and swivel philosophy yeah uh question does alfred's house come up again oh we're gonna via hugel will constantly be a character okay. it's like sex in the city where new york is the fifth character via hugel is Fuck, the, the that... fifth crop i guess that I show just changed on me when you just said that. I used to just throw as much about a bunch of whores. Well, whores and New York. Right, but then it's New fun. York is the fifth character. Right, now it's making yeah. sense. Yeah. I get it. Right, it's like a bunch of whores and a stinky hobolo. Yeah, I'm going to vote. Having an orgy. I'm going to vote for Cynthia Nixon and then move out of the state. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, don't worry. We'll get back to Via Hugel. It'll also not be the um, mansion of horrors that Alfred wanted it to be. That's something that his kids won't really honor. Oh. Mention of, what did you say, horrors yeah. or whores? Horrors. Oh, okay, because no, I thought we were still talking about whores. No, we're going to no, get to whores later, though. <laughs> Sometimes oh, okay, there's, cool. that's a synonymous term. You know, oh, depends right. on how, well, you know, several things. Yeah. House of whores. <laughs> so Fritz liked spending his money. Um, he did some, actually, he had some interesting hobbies. He really was interested in um, marine biology. So okay. he like developed new techniques of like gathering specimens off the like 
uh, seafloor and the seabed. He helped catalog like a bunch of different species in the Mediterranean um, because he like built a special like collection boat to do all this stuff with. He was kind of like, weird hobby, a weird hobby, yeah. but it made sense for like eighteen hundred, late eighteen hundreds, like. Right, when exploring type, stuff exploring, was cool. Yeah. Like, look at the Vanderbilts yeah, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I was going to say that. That must be a, been a rich thing, because back where, in our hometown, we have the Vanderbilt Museum, where he, like, stuffed the shark all retarded, and, like, you know, he's just collecting shrimp and shit yeah. and putting it in. I did watch a documentary about taxidermy uh, during the uh, my sixth stint, mm-hmm. and they this talked the 50 about movies. That. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. I, I don't recommend it. Sick people, those taxidermists. Mm. Very sick. It's real strange. Heads. Yeah. Well, you guys are going to taxidermy me when I die, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I learned how to do it. I watched a documentary. We're going to put all oh, the all things right. in weird places so that like, you have a weird cool. shape to you. But we'll keep the skin. Cool. Where are these balls go yeah. then? And the knees? They're <laughs> <laughs> not the chin. Yeah, ball chinians. Um, yeah, so Fritz, he liked spending his money, put it into his hobbies. Um and what do you like to do also is he spent a lot of time in the southern Mediterranean, um, especially on the island of Capri. Uh, remember, this is where he spent a lot of his time growing up, so it made sense that he would leave the soot-infested Essen to head down to this nice, you know, nice climate of the south. Connor, are you telling me that he invented Capri Suns? Because we got to be real. Here. No. See, I mentioned Capri because, do you remember when we did the Agrippina episode, I also mentioned the island of Capri for one reason. Remember that? Yeah. That was where the second Roman emperor, Tiberius, kind of fled to when he was like, I'm sick of Rome, and I'm going to build oh. my own little sex island where I can do my weird yeah, shit. Yeah, Epstein Island. Seems like if it was good enough for an emperor of Rome, it was good enough for the canon king. Oh, I see what's oh. happening. Yeah. So so he's out there getting his cannons polished. And he's polishing some other little Italian cannons as well. All right. Well, it was Ooh, back then, right. it was before they knew what consent or age of consent was, rather. Yes. So, so yeah. he's spending a lot of time there. He's built a little estate there. And no one really knows, is this an Epstein Island situation? Or is this just a rich guy who can't be open sexually at home retreating to an island situation? Uh, yeah, if you uh, have to you ask that what? question, the press is all an put it yeah. on what the f- first answer. It could have been the second. We don't really know. Mm. Well, it probably didn't help with the fact that Fritz walked around saying, "If uh, the grapes grow on the vine, time to make some wine." Yeah, <laughs> probably not the best. <laughs> That's a, a heinous saying. You just <laughs> spouted hate speech, really. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Fritz young. was using the same island for uh, as Tiberius did for his own sexual escapades. Uh, now, apparently the Italian press kind of got wind of this story. It was kind of like an open secret on the island, and then when the mainland Italian press found out, they were like, kind of hounding him. Yeah. And homosexuality at the time in Germany was like the capital sin if you were in the aristocracy, but because of that, it was also like super popular among the aristocracy if that so makes sense fake gays no like just it's this re- it's this weird thing in germany where it was like if you were gay it was like highly punished highly looked down upon but there are tons of gay guys at the highest level of the military i mean gay and they're men, having their own parties and stuff and like on average gay was, men make more money than straight yeah. men so it was they're this, really like, weird just way up the ladder like the most looked down upon thing but the highest levels of the pol- pol- politicians are doing it Kind of like pedophilia now. 
Okay, yeah. I was gonna say kind of like Congress now. So maybe yeah, it yeah, is exactly. Epstein. You know, Lindsay. Yeah. Now you know, Lindsay. Lindsay Graham is going. Oh yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. How you? Are doing? you saying that like we're at the point where all of our leaders are pedophiles because we've been so accepting to the gay community? No. We could have prevented that if we were more big. I don't agree not with this. I'm no, just saying I'm not at all. I engage with that one. No, I was. I didn't hear the pedophile part. I was talking about how they're in the closet, but they're going after gay people right. in Congress. But if right. people were allowed to say like the F slur today, then the people in Congress wouldn't be pedophiles. They would. They would stop at homosexuality. That's what you were saying. I wouldn't. It's say like they that. want to That's, do the most you know, taboo thing. I did not say that, Tom. <laughs> yeah, keep it more right. taboo. Anyway, tight pants. Continue. At the time, it was highly. It was gonna just destroy his career, basically, because it was a huge scandal. Once it like started to like leak out, and then when the Italian press finally like published their account, they never actually mentioned Crump Crump by name, but all they said was a businessman from Essen, and that was enough for everyone to be like, "Oh, it's Crump!" Like everyone knows it's him. Right, it's their town. Yeah, it yeah, it's blowing up. He's threatening to sue. It almost becomes a diplomatic incident where like Germany is threatening threatening the Italian kingdoms to like retract their papers or else they would invade. It was a big deal. It's really weird. Speaking that like not wow. too further down the line, you know Hitler and Mussolini. Yeah, they made one hell of a panini. Well, uh, twenty imagine, years later they're imagine, fighting each other anyway, so not yet. We're not the yeah. Germany Italy friends yet part. Imagine if Prince Charles was doing the same thing with uh, the, the Great Britain right now. Oh, dude, I did not sleep with those children. Let's attack America. It would be similar to that. It would be similar <laughs> if the Queen was like, "How you, the New York Times needs to recant that story, or else we're gonna invade." Do you guys see that uh, yeah. the Queen has COVID right now? Yeah, I, I think she's dead. I think she's been dead for like two weeks. I wish she was actually dead. I think royalty is parasitic. Yeah, but that's not. Well, that's just that's the a Irish topic. Yeah. yeah, that's a topic. Uh, that, I think whole episode. Yeah, we we don't need to get into that because God saved the queen. God put the queen there. Yeah, loyalist boy. Yeah, twenty six yeah, plus loyalist. six equals one. All right. Anyway, reports are trickling out. It's looking bad. Um, at one point, uh, his wife um, is like Marga. I think is her name. She's getting really upset. She's like demanding, is it true? Is it true? And he takes the extent of it as like, you're hysteric. I'm sending you to an insane asylum. Perfect. Because you found out I'm gay. That's not a good look for him. Um, the Kaiser is like, what's going on? What do we need to do without, about you? And on November 22nd, 1902, Fritz is dead. Oh. Now, we don't know how he died. His physicians reported that it was a heart attack. But if you, I didn't want to get into the details because we're going to keep move past Fritz. But highly, highly suspicious death. Death. It's widely believed he committed suicide to avoid the shame of a long, protracted legal battle. Basically, mm. how old was he? Fritz was only. Let's see. Let me do my math real quick. He was forty-seven. Oh, okay. No, forty-eight. He was forty-eight years old. This is just fifteen years after the death of Alfred. That Fritz, after you know, guiding the firm through this period, kills himself. Oh Sad. well, very, very wow. so. I mean, it's also like a similar do? time as like the Oscar Wilde homosexuality cases. Right. So like, kind of all of Europe right. was going through this gay panic where like high level people were being, they're having their reputations destroyed just for being gay. So poor little Fritz, he's gone. That's what it's just like communism. It's gay. This is just like 1984. Yeah, the same thing. Yeah, we got a, a witch <laughs> hunt. 18, 1884. <laughs> so now what? Now what are we going to do? Fritz is dead. There's no canon king. There's no clear successor because Fritz had two daughters, Bertha and Barbara. 
they're both teenagers when he dies, so there's no one really to guide the firm. What's going to happen? Um, now, Alfred had stipulated what should happen in this situation in his will. Basically, it was that the company should become more like a normal corporation, you know, stockholders and a board of directors. Now, this is weird because Alfred fucking hated stockholders and thought board of directors were just socialist scams that were trying to steal it's his probably, company. Probably a way to save face, almost. Yeah. Legally. Yeah. You know, if he if he well, hated them and he's just trying to win back his pride and his family name, he goes, ah, oh, not so bad, you know. Died by well, and also Fritz, Fritz was an island boy. Yeah. So, like, you know, he didn't want to do any work. Yeah. So no one really knows. They were like, what, what are you going to do? But uh, the Kaiser, Wilhelm, with his little withered little arm, was like, I can't have my, what was being called now, the, I'm going to try some German here, Der Waffenschmiede des Reichs, which means the Armory of the Empire. That was what the Krupp firm was called. The Kaiser is like, I can't have just anyone running that company. I need someone I can trust. I need someone I can lean on. And they need to basically be like the dictator of their own company so that everything I need to get done gets done. Yeah. I need more of these gay-ass guns. Yeah. So basically, they what they did is they skirted German law and the Kaiser kind of passed some loopholes so that the company could stay within Bertha's control, even though she was a woman and was legally not allowed to run the company. And she was only 18. What's worse? Really? What's why did they chase this guy into killing himself? Just, just to have a daughter with boys. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to have a woman now? What is this? Wait. Uh, uh, but the crux- she's going to school for a liberal arts degree. She was taking piano lessons. Yeah. What is this? This yeah. woman doesn't yeah. know business. No offense, but she's 18. I know. I'm not saying yeah, I'm not saying a woman's can't run <laughs> companies. I mean, look at what, what what was it? Elizabeth Holmes, she's worked wonders. Oh, wait. <laughs> but yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, an eighteen-year-old girl going to college. Yeah. She's too busy well, Tom, about I mean, boys I, and, and piano. I feel like that would be like if Paris Hilton actually took over the Hilton Empire. My God, those pink buildings all just popping hotels. up all over the place. Yeah. Certain yeah. bankruptcy. You can't write off this many handbags. <laughs> yeah. So here's what the Krupp firm came up with with help from the Kaiser. So they did create a board of directors because they kind of had to. But it was all staffed by uh, old Krupp cronies and family members. Awesome. They had to have shares printed, and they had to sell. They had to have the shares controlled by five people at least, so they could sell it to as many people as they wanted. But it had to be a minimum of five. They printed one hundred and sixty thousand shares of stock for this initial run. They sold one to an Uncle Felix who lived in like uh, Bavaria or somewhere. Uh, they gave one share to three different board members. So each of those three guys had one share. And the other 159,999 shares went to Bertha, who is, again, oh. just a teenager taking piano lessons at a boarding school at this time. It's a good position. Now she is immediately the richest woman in all of Germany and maybe the richest person as well, just overnight, because she controls all this, these shares. Hmm. Uh, she's still too young to take any like sort of role with the company. So it's uh, Marga. As I mentioned before, Fritz's widow, she kind of is managing the day-to-day stuff. But wasn't she in a psycho house? Oh, the moment he died, she, she got released. <laughs> yeah, they were like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> they were like, oh, no, no, no never mind. Yeah. We're going to forget about that. Actually, we knew you were crazy knew, the whole time. We knew you were perfectly sane, uh, so come it's on just back. that your husband, uh, we were afraid he was going to rape our sons. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we did it. She's immediately released. Back in Essen, like, buy it for his funeral. Good um, for her. Yeah. That sounds like a woman right? who's had experience. She, this guy's <laughs> probably talked her ear off. They certainly weren't having romantic moments no. to, to talk over. He was probably talking about the business. She knows yeah. the ins and outs. Give it to her. Right. 
And oh, looks like we must insert my steel rod into your mega daughters, little frauleins, <laughs> so they can control the companies. Why are our sexual That's relations so mechanic? <laughs> they are so, every time it's mechanical. <laughs> There's no passion. Yeah. Uh, so Marga, um, she herself would say she's not a brilliant business mind, but what she was very good at was finding the right people to work in the jobs that she needed. She was actually like exceptional at like hiring quality people. Good. Cause the firm kept their business kept rising. You know, they were never in danger at this time. Um, and she was really good at doing like the day to day looking after the factory workers stuff. So she was really into like the charitable aspects of the firm that we mentioned with Alfred, where it's like, I demand total loyalty, but I'll also like pay for all your housing and all your needs type of stuff. Yeah. It was like yeah. a weird, like capitalist socialism. Yeah. Like the capitalist, yeah. medieval barren hybrid yeah it really does yeah. sound like a feudalism oh thing. yeah it's like, straight up feudalism yeah yeah interesting yeah they're like benevolent feudalists in a weird way mm. but, but not to everyone as we'll see um yeah so she was ingratiating herself with the croupian ear um she also still maintained the corrupt discipline of her father-in-law um at one point she counted the steps from every factory worker's front door to the factory floor that way they knew how long it should take them to get to their off their job so it's like oh. you have your is from your front door to the factory floor is 1742 steps so you need to leave at this time in order to get there on time and they like enforce that wow yeah. oh but i tripped i tripped i was eating well, you gotta uh, build one some time breakfast. in for tripping <laughs> Yeah, I was eating one of my breakfast pretzels and schnitzels, and I tripped. Yeah, it was my breakfast schnitzel, which is stamped with the Krupp name that yeah. I bought with my Krupp buck. With these Krupp eggs. Yeah. Uh, just Krupp hard-boiled eggs, because they don't let us fry them here. Well, they got to hard-boil them, that way they can put on the shell Krupp. Right, exactly. Krupp. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You, can't, you can't imprint a scrambled egg. Every egg in Essen comes you out of try. a boiled chicken. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> they don't go to the store. The you chickens have, hatch it into a boiling pot of water. <laughs> imagine all, that being something that you, like you grow up your entire life just thinking hard-boiled eggs are it. Yeah, that's all there is. That's it. So you got egg salad or just eat it raw. Yeah. Because you don't know. <laughs> How would you like your eggs? What do you mean? They're all the same. What's that thing that Rocky's drinking? Sliced or chopped. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, Bertha, now that she's like... Coming into her late teens, early 20s, uh, the Kaiser, Wilhelm, is like, all right, I'm basically stepping in as your father. It's time to find you a husband. Time to get the Krupp family ship righted and have a man at the helm who can do all the shit that I need. Mm. So, uh, let me see. Where am I? Uh, so, Bertha, now that she's like, starting this courtship period, she's also starting to take over the jobs from Marga. She viewed herself as a Krupp first and a German second, just like most of the Krupps did. So she kind of viewed herself as the queen of Essen and that she had 100,000 people depending on her. Do you um, think she had sweatpants that said like Kruppenier on the ass? No way. Like no way she's wearing sweatpants. Maybe a dress well, with Kruppenier on oh, the right. ass. Yeah. All right. On the ass. Okay. No, she's a, prop she's a proper lady, this one. Mm. Well, you know, they got to go casual sometimes. Maybe when she was just... Hanging out, lounging. The idea of like German casual at the time is wearing like scuba gear. <laughs> no, it's probably the riding gear because yeah, they, they all yeah. they all loved horses. They just didn't love the horse shit aspect as much as Alfred did. But the Krupps always loved their horses. Yeah, I was gonna say that's probably the burning question. No one is sniffing shit at this point, or yeah. The the book I'm reading didn't mention if they plugged the pipes that led from the, the, 
<laughs> the manure field up into the office. So I'm assuming that they plugged them because no one was quite like Alfred in that way. Well, yeah. maybe Alfred was like very just open about it. Maybe they all liked it. Maybe the, maybe when no one was looking, like they were all they were huff, all secret, huffing they were the secretly pipes, huffing. Like, <laughs> yeah, and Alfred's the only one like extolling the virtues of it out in public. Yeah, he's just like, like, that's our family yeah. secret. Makes, makes me think about ways to destroy it stuff. I got a new gun. I was huffing some good manure the other day. <laughs> this is like the, the, the crops are now from New Jersey. By the way, for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's like they're they're in like a pizzeria that you know our secret sauce, and they wink. Yeah. That's what we do it. <laughs> I take tomatoes. I take a little Kool Aid, some onions. I put them in a ash. ash. Smoke a cigarette. Ash. <laughs> a little sprinkle. Ash. A little bit of that. Uh, so Bertha also took up the mantle of like looking out for the workers. She started giving out medals for years of service that were almost like military medals. Um, she would socialize with all the year. Um, and attend like their weddings and their baptisms and all this stuff, and just wanted to be looking out like she wanted to be the queen of her people, you know. Oh, all right, Respect. Mama Crub. Yeah. So in the spring of 1906, so that's what four years after Fritz has passed on, the Kaiser he finds his man, he finds his guy for Bertha, and we're going to be talking a lot about this guy. His name is Gustav von Bolen und Halbach. He was born in August of 1870, just one month before the Great Battle of Sedan, where Alfred won the empire for Germany. So it's kind of like a little harbor of potential, you know, just like coming in at the right time. Right. He was a Destined for greatness. Exactly. Destined for greatness. Uh, he was a career diplomat for the Prussian embassies. He worked in a bunch of different um, embassies throughout his career, and he was extremely bureaucratic and servile this guy all loved to follow what someone else told him told him to do that's what that was his favorite thing he here's what the author of the book that i'm reading had to say about him quote he was the man who never does anything wrong never misses an appointment and never shows the faintest flicker of imagination it is in fact doubtful that he entertained a single original thought in his entire life Oh, so he's like the ultimate sub, dog. He's the ultimate sub, and he's going to find his daddy Dom in 1928 he's by like, a little, little Bavarian guy named Hitler. He's basically Trevor <laughs> Noah. <laughs> he's, he's Trevor Noah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Just loves to follow. He doesn't want to have to think for himself. He wants someone to tell him what to do. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I mean, it's, so I wish I naturally felt that way. I'd probably be in a better situation. Yeah. But uh, Tom, <laughs> that's... Tom, you can't let the audience know that we have a full team of writers that actually script out this entire show. It's been going on for about 100 episodes. We should now. really fire some of those writers. We definitely need to fire yeah. some of our producers <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a little more about Gustav. Like I said, we'll get to it later, but he's going to make the perfect Nazi because of all these qualities of just wanting to follow the strong man. Uh, he was also extraordinarily punctual. Um, we know a lot about his life because he kept a minute-by-minute -minute daily schedule to the point that he Whoa. had like specific instructions for the chauffeurs and the servants and for like the house staff. So if he told guests that breakfast was being served at 7.15, the doors were locked at 7.16. Anyone who's late doesn't get breakfast. Um, his driver had to have the car running for a certain amount of minutes before he would walk out. That way it would be the right... Um, temperature, temperature, and like he could like he wanted to preserve the, the motor, really. Yeah, and he said he wanted the driver to start driving the moment his foot left the floor, the ground. So even before he's fully in the car, <laughs> oh. I have places to be. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. 
had like timing for meals down to the second. So it'd be like, I'm going to eat lunch from like 12.15 and 25 seconds to 12.27 and 31 seconds. And that'll leave me 18 seconds to walk to the door. And that'll leave me another 35 seconds to get to the factory floor. And then I'll have seven minutes of walking the factory. It was that, that punctual. (laughs) I mean, talk about OCD, but also like this is a time before like the internet. You know what I mean? You have to set your clock. <laughs> yeah. Right? No like, so if your like clock this. was like, yeah, if your clock was like a little bit off, you know, like to the second, right? Like, what? how is he? Is he going to like uh, Greenwich Village or whatever the fuck they, the Greenwich Meridian time yeah. or whatever? Also, uh, weren't like clocks, like pocket watches, things like that. That was a, almost a luxury. Luxury, fairly new. And like Travis is saying, like, there's no main clock system so if someone's like watch isn't synchronized to yours you're gonna be late and he's gonna lock you out of the meeting you know what yeah you had to wind it too like the pocket watches too right you had to wind yeah. the pocket watch so it could just like die over time you know what i mean yeah that's pretty funny actually this guy it's uh, crazy he sounds like a champion tell yeah. me more he was a big fan yeah. of alfred's so he read you know how alfred kept all those diaries he read through all of alfred's diaries because he want alfred was basically like his hero He's like, that's my man. That's who I want to live for. So he got the job so, then. He was he got his dream job. Oh, yeah. Well, I think some of it also was he was a career diplomat in, in like, he was in the Vatican when um, he met Bertha and when the Kaiser, like, the Kaiser arranged this whole marriage. Right. Um, right. And I think once he realized, like, oh, I'm going to be the Krupp family, I'm going to consume everything there is to know about the Krupps. That way I'm ready for it. Because he was just so like, this- I have to serve my Kaiser. Yeah, even though the book didn't mention it, this guy was sniffing horse shit. He definitely, because if this he was definitely his hero, tried. It. He definitely yeah, tried. Yeah, if this was his hero, he was doing it. I mean, we do this on the show, too. Like, I remember, you know, it goes without saying, when I did the research for Oliver Reed, I took in as much alcohol as possible. Right. You want to uh, live like right. him. Yeah, exactly. I'll admit, I did not smell horse manure for Alfred. I was not near any horses. I probably should have. That's my bad as a researcher. I, I wouldn't expect you to. You know, like, when we did, uh, <laughs> what was the guy, uh, wow, well, his name? Uh, Blakely, the doctor who with the 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 goat nuts. Oh, goat nuts, man! Yeah, why did yeah. I forget? Yeah, see, I didn't do that. See, he Brinkley, he, Brinkley. Yeah, what do you do? This gentleman. That's a fascinating episode. Go back and listen to that one if you haven't heard it. Those of you at home, but uh, this gentleman, he was around. I would say like eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties. What he did was he. Um, Someone came to him and was like, I can't get an erection anymore because my boner's different. <laughs> and um, what he did was he took a goat gland. So he took a goat and sliced a little of the nut off huh. and threw it in the sack of his patients. Yeah. Um, did it work? According to the people who had it done. I mean, all right. Uh, and he became a multimillionaire and uh, ruled half of Texas for a while. Good God for him. bless America. Yeah, Brinkley. J.R. Brinkley. All right. I got to cool listen one. to that one. Yeah, that, that one's a cool one. All right. I didn't do that. That's so, another thing about Gustav, um, he believed in discomfort because he believed that being comfortable meant you were weak. Oh, this guy's such a sub. So, he, he would always make sure the house was extremely cold. Mm-hmm. Um, he and Bertha are going to redo the house a lot. And one of the things that they do is like they make the windows actually work. And he would always leave them open, especially at night. Even better. Somehow it's gotten worse. Yeah. He made the house the almost house. worse because he wanted it to be really cold because he liked being cold. And it would also, he believed, encourage people to like walk into his office, say what they had to say and leave because it was so cold rather mm-hmm. than like, oh, well, I'm going to sit down and have a smoke and have a drink with you and talk about business. And it's like, no, it's freezing in here. I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you and get out. 
Great. You see, you might you might think I'm crazy, but I do the exact same thing. I have my windows are always open, even in when I lived in New York, always open. Well, I'm gonna say that maybe it didn't have to do with your distaste of comfort because you have like couches and things like that. Um, it's probably your size. To be fair. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, I run a little warm. You run you a little warm. Happens. You're a little. You're well insulated, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm imagining this guy to be like, this is a like Jordan Peterson is like a light version of him. Oh, that's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so he also <clears throat> would keep him open at night, uh, both for the discomfort reason and also because he believed that it encouraged people to remain in their beds instead of like getting up to canoodle. Because um, <laughs> also one of Bertha's favorite pastimes was catching. The uh, house staff sleeping with one another, and then firing both of the people on the spot. That was like her favorite what? thing. To oh, do. Bertha's a bitch then. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a bitch. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to just watch. No, she would but, like spy know. on them and then like catch them in the act and then fire them there, right then and there. Oh, you are doing the naughty, naughty. I will fire yeah. you in the morning. Oh yes, I will fire you in the morning. <laughs> I'm going to come first, and then I'm going to get you out of my sweet house. <laughs> I'm going to kick you out of the windows that are open. Yeah. So that's a little background on Gustav. Oh, one thing I didn't want to mention. His grandfather was a Union general in the American Civil War. Oh. And then he like he led like an army of German immigrants in the fight against the South. Once the war is over, he retires to his farm, I think, in Pennsylvania. And then when uh, Germany was united, he was like, I want to get back to my motherland, fatherland, and move the family back to Germany. Fought on the German, fought on the right side of history in the Civil War, and the wrong side of history for the rest of the generations of the family. You know, you can't win it all. No, you can't win no. them all. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Maybe we'll look back and someone will be like, "Wow, America yeah. fighting in the Vietnam War, not so good." Wait, we already figured <laughs> we that just, out. Yeah, that's got a low hanging fruit on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think the moment they step foot in there, yeah. they're like, oh, maybe, <laughs> "Maybe not. <laughs> maybe next time." Are we the bad Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, we'll go back to uh, spring of 1906. That's when the Kaiser arranges this wedding. Gustav is 36. He just met the 20-year-old Bertha. So kind of a pretty good age range, all things considered, that we've covered on this show. I mean, 36 to 20, not bad in the grand scheme of things. It's really not. Yeah, we've seen some heinous uh, age gaps. We just had, what, uh, Agrippina and Claudius was like 48 and 22, and they were aunt and uncle, or uncle and and niece. (laughs) There were layers to that disturbing relationship. So this one, not that bad. And uh, Gustav, he's a short king. Uh, Bertha was a foot taller than him. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. yeah. He's a bagel boss? Oh, yeah. So he's a bagel boss, short king, Nazi man <laughs> who loves okay. being cold and kept a minute-by-minute calendar. I mean, you got... You got... Yeah. God. So this, uh, you know what? If I if I was his dom, I'd probably just like tie him to a chair and then like put a clock in front of him. Be like, look at all these meetings you're missing. Oh my god, he'd huh? orgasm a million times. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, you know, not not, to, not that I'm ragging on shorter guys, but like you know that whole like there is that Napoleon. There, complex, it's real. And like it's you real. can yeah. you can manifest that in many ways. And I feel like the timing thing is probably that. Yeah. You know. So it's yeah. overcompensating yeah. or something. Because I'm going to be on time, and I'm going to listen to what everyone says. That way they can't be mad at me. Yeah, because everyone else fucks it up all the time because they don't think about it right. that much. And it's not that important. Yeah. So I'm going to get on everyone's case all the time. And it's like, yeah, should have just been tall, man. Yeah, should have just grown. I'll just show up when I want. Drink some milk. Pro- yeah, probably should have been drinking milk, you dumb idiot. Like, fucking Tony and Tiger told you, you dumb piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> They're tall. <laughs> Uh, so our lovely couple, uh, they meet in the spring of 1906 and they will be married on October 15th of that same year. They will be married in Essen. The whole head of the German state will come on down. Um, and so Bertha, her father had passed away four years before. So she needs someone to walk her down the aisle again, give her, give away the bride who better than to give away the bride than the following people all at once. Kaiser Wilhelm. His brother, the crown prince, the entire Prussian cabinet, and the all of the military heads of the army and navy. Do you think that this could have been politically motivated? Well, let me read you a little excerpt from the Kaiser's wedding toast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because apparently this whole wedding is just the Kaiser like feeling himself. Like, oh, okay. I like in that. the book, they go into like yeah. real big detail of what uniform he picked out, and he like picks out his like best, most militaristic one brings like a really sharp sword that he's like always waving around wearing like his carhartt socks oh yeah he's really yeah. fanboying it up <laughs> so here's here's how he toasted the happy couple quote may you be successful my dear daughter in maintaining the works at the high standard of efficiency which they have attained in continuing to supply our german fatherland with offensive and defensive weapons of a quality and performance unapproached by those of any other nation well, I don't know about you, Gustav, but I'm fucking dripping wet after that. Yeah, That's you really may get the wedding night going. Yeah. Yeah, you may now blast the bride with your large cannon. Yeah, there's no plate armor in here, baby. And now I will present a cake made by the German cake boss, der boss. <laughs> der boss. Der boss. This cake oh, is man. 100% edible and 100% metal. And yeah, and Wilhelm's the one who gets to cut the cake, not, not the couple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sit down. It's time to eat cake. <laughs> Hurry up. You have 30 seconds to cut the cakes. <laughs> yeah, talk about Yeah, he she wasn't like a she wasn't the bridezilla. He must have been <laughs> oh, the bridezilla. Oh yeah. He, no, he was. So, um here's one anecdote that I had to share. So, he's the head of state. He's the monarch, and this is like right when the like monarchy is like peaking basically all across Europe. And so they move from like the main uh, like ballroom, I guess, to a secondary ballroom, and the Kaiser is one of the first ones down, and he sees uh, an old flame, is how it's written in the book. So an old a lady he used to flirt with, and so he walks over and starts chatting with her. Now the rules of like conduct at the time stipulated that if the Kaiser has entered a room, or if you're like following the Kaiser into a room, you can't sit down until he sits down. I've seen that before. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a kind of a common rule from the monarchy, but most monarchy would like most royals would either like notice and be like, oh, "I'll sit down just so everyone else can, and then I'll get up and do my thing," or they'd be like, "Wave it and be like, just everyone just go sit down." That's right. like the yeah. common thing. Wilhelm spent two hours flirting with this woman. <laughs> Well, all of the other guests are just standing around. Yeah, they're just trying to like pretending to have normal conversations. Was just like I am not allowed to sit down, not allowed to get a drink, not allowed to eat. They just had to stand in this ballroom and make chit chat while he's flirting with an old flame. God, nothing gets these women off more than power. Watch this. I'll make a bet. I'll make a bet with you. If any of these people sit, you don't have to sleep with me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so uh kaiser wasn't done though his final gift to the couple is the biggest one yet and it'll make telling our story much easier rather than bertha taking gustav's name 
The Kaiser allows slash orders the couple for Gustav to take Bertha's name. Uh-huh. That way, there's still a Krupp in charge of the Krupp works. So Gustav becomes Gustav Krupp von Bolen und Halbach and is known for the rest of his life almost purely as Gustav Krupp. So I, I thought, I mean, that is strange in European countries. I'm, I've been doing some research into a Japanese man. I'm not going to, no spoilers. But apparently that's a common thing in Japan. So if you have like a business and like say if like that you don't have a son or whatever, like the daughter marries off and then the dude takes the business's last name. Oh, yeah. So exactly what we got going here. Are you saying yeah. so it's Axis Common then? Seems to be an Axis adjacent yeah, thing. Yeah, Axis Common. Yeah. yeah. We'll right. find out yeah. if it happens in Italy or Romania. I am, that can yeah. really seal it. If I have some children, they're definitely going to take my wife's last name yeah. so they can get into colleges. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the last of the Kaiser's gifts for this wedding day. All righty. Did all. all right, so the couple did their duty as the Kaiser outlined because part of his speech was also like, please have kids. Um, that way we don't have this kerfuffle again. They do. Almost nine months to the day after their wedding, Bertha gives birth to little Alfred, who's named after Alfred, but not the English-sized version, just Alfred. Okay. Uh, they would have eight children between the years of 1907 to 1922, six boys, two girls. I believe five of the eight would live to adulthood. And we will follow inter- some of them as we continue in this story. It's interesting because you said he's going with the German version of Alfred because, uh, spoilers, Germany and England, probably not so good buddies Ooh, no more. No good. <laughs> <laughs> so Gustav, just after the wedding, he's immediately taken the reins of what is commonly called in all of Europe simply de firma. That's when you say the firm, you're referring to the Krupps. That's how like ubiquitous they are. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, so he also, one of the first things he does is expands the social programs that had been like a Krupp family constant. That was something that, you know, his hero Alfred had did, so he wanted to expand upon it. What also happened was there was a corresponding increase in the what was expected of employees because they were giving them more stuff. So, yeah, we're going to build you new and better housing with better running water. Uh, but you're also only allowed to vote for these two political parties, and we're going to check on that. And if you do anything wrong, you're fired and you lose your pension, and so is your family. I love democracy. Right. Isn't it great? Connor, I have a little question. So yeah. they mainly did they did exclusively like artillery, large arms, right? Like they weren't working with like Mauser and like and like doing small arm shit too, were they? Well, I'm actually very thankful you asked that because the next section is called the Krupp Firm Snapshot, 1906 to 1910. So, Okay, perfect. Let's review what the firm's doing right now. Yes, the big guns obviously is what Alfred loved. Uh, Fritz would kind of start to diversify that. They would start to do not so many small arms because you don't need this Krupp steel for that, but... Um, like I said, they're doing nickel plate armor, which is almost u- only used for naval vessels. Um, they're still doing all the railroad shit, so that's constant. Um, but let's see, let, let's go over their holdings at this point, just to give a real picture of how big this company is. All right, all right. Am I, are we investing? This is Tom. Tom and I, we're both in the business. We're both in the big people. Are we investing? Am I calling up my fidelity agent, who I've never actually spoke to because it's just an online service? Um, yeah. Am I going to call them up tomorrow? Am well, I gonna, am I gonna call up the uh, um, medieval English uh, superhero Robin Hood and tell him <laughs> give me the riches money and give it 
to my bank account. See, you can call them, you can ask, and they'll say, yeah, it's a great idea, but uh, it's still a privately owned company because Bertha owns all but four shares. Let's just say, well, let's hear the snapshot. Here's what they got. This is We're going to start with just their international holdings. The Krupps owned the majority of Australia's entire base metal industry. So all their copper, iron, nickel, all of their base metal mines, the majority are owned by the Krupps. Okay. He has the rights to all of uh, the monazite deposits in India, and monazite is like a key ingredient in the production of cast steel. He owns the majority of the nickel mines in all of the French Polynesian islands. He owns a large amount of stocks of every single British munitions firm. So like Mauser, or no, Mauser's German. Um, what's the British one? Vickers, all of them. He owns so many stocks in them that in a few of those firms, he has the controlling interest of shares. He also owns a plurality, not a majority, of the Australian of the Austrian Skoda Works. And the Skoda Works were the only other European firm that produced weapons close to the quantity of the Krupps. He owned most of that company anyway. Wow. In Essen itself, they owned 80 factories alone. These factories used more gas and electricity than the entire city. And in that was of the entire city of Essen. And they also used more gas and electricity than the entire city of Berlin at the time. Uh, The factory complex had its own fire department, its own police department, its own traffic laws, and it was all enforced by the Krupp Police Department. So these people are not answerable to anyone outside of the Krupp firm. Wait, it had its own traffic laws. So you'd like enter Essen and be like, oh, guess what? We drive on the left side of the road now. Yeah. You we idiots. drive on the left side because that's what Alfred <laughs> had it saw in yeah. a dream one day. Yeah. You know, guess what? You, you got to stop at a stop sign for 4.2 seconds. Because and you got you to keep your windows down whenever you're driving. That way you stay cold. Stay uh, Because yeah. that's what Alert. Gustav wants. Unless it's the summer. Yeah. In which uh, you put it on your air. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, honestly, it's you have more. Oh, there's more. Yeah, keep okay. going. Before yeah. I, I want so, a little brief on. because we are we're, we're brokers. We're, we really want a wealth <laughs> for all of our listeners. So we I, need to hear all the deets. I'm definitely Capiche, part of the so, word broker. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me do that. I'm, I want the deltas. I want the PE ratios. I want the underovers of monies. So in uh, the rest <laughs> of Germany, they controlled an additional dozen or so steel plants. They own the largest shipyard in Germany, and it was one of the three largest shipyards in the world at the time, and that was in Kiel. Uh, they had myriad, you know, foundries, coal mines, quarries, and other like raw material extraction sites all across Europe. Um, they had three private test firing ranges, any one of which was larger than any other in the world. That's okay. a little that bit includes of a like the that's American. A, no, government. that's a demerit because that's a demerit because I usually look for. Businesses that have, have at least five firing ranges. Bigger oh, than any right. other one in the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's more yeah. to cover, yeah. Warren Buffet, all right? Here's what they produced. I mean, what do you think what do you think what do you think Zuck is doing in the metaverse? He's setting up firing ranges and putting you <laughs> your profile on the firing range. He's got millions of them. We're gonna yeah. connect in the metaverse and learn how to fire an A ten Warthog. <laughs> how to execute your right. entire community. Here's what they were producing um, in terms of raw materials yearly. This is yearly uh, totals. 2 million tons of coal, 800,000 tons of uh, coke, not cocaine, but the um, coke like iron or coal production. Have you ever heard of that? Coke? Yeah. In that frame? It's C-O-K-E, but... Yeah, it's the not fun coke. 
it's like a part of the like carbon uh, steel making process of like extracting carbon, turning it into coke, and then use the coke to make steel. Okay. Anyway, they're making eight hundred thousand tons of it a year. Another hundred thousand tons of iron ore. 800,000 tons of pig iron. And at this point, they are the largest and wealthiest company in the entire world. They have their basically their own military. So really, the only other companies in history you could compare them to is something like the East India Company in terms of like global power. Wow. That's wow. how big the Krups are. So, uh, Tom. So you investing? Tom, are we investing? I don't know. I don't know. They're merchants of death. It all seems Business like- never goes out of style. Well, it's not like if they owned several fast food chains, then I might be more inclined. <laughs> right. But, See, this um, is the Shark Tank going on right now. Tom, fast food chains, anything else would you like to add to this business model before you, what do they do? Deal or no deal? They didn't have the an app. Tank. That's another, another That's drawback. Yeah, no like app. A, a church would be good. I keep yeah. these people in line. A they have more, church. We're close to cult status here. They kind of run their own churches in Essen. I yeah. Mean, but it does see, sound very cultish. So see, I would I'm, say it's a buy. I'm not going heavy into it. But though. a buy? All right. Okay. Yeah. Because I got to give Mark Zuckerberg my money. as you Because you reminded me. You shouldn't have reminded me. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to say the big thing. They're lacking monkeys. The pick, JPEGs of monkeys. They can sell to people. Oh, yeah. No. All, my ape, all, all Gustav's apes gone. Yeah, there's, they're not even making iron apes. They're yeah. not making iron <laughs> apes they can distribute to these markets that'll appreciate in value. Um, so I'm going to have to say, no deal. You're out Ooh. there with the fucking uh, sprinkler that the last buddy that brought came into the show brought on. The sprinkler that also does your lawn mowing. Goodbye. Later, you <laughs> blew it. You're fired. All right. I like how you're doing this. All. I, I, I know our... People at home are not, or in their cars, can't see you right now. But you're wearing I'm, a captain's hat. Yes, and, Captain Haddock. Uh, yeah, you're Captain Haddocking while you're doing this, and it's making me trust you more. I do. See? I inherently trust uh, you more. Yeah. Next season of Shark Tank, I'm beyond. Imagine that. All right. Yeah. I'll be well, like that Fubu guy off the show. <laughs> I'm on there now. Mark Cuban. What also have you done aside from show. Fubu? <laughs> yeah, Mark Cuban also off the show. You're a sandwich. <laughs> well, Trav, I think the next shark might actually be Bertha Krupp, because by 1913, she is the wealthiest individual in all of Germany. Um, the second wealthiest individual was estimated to be worth something like 200 million uh, marks, which is the German currency at the time. Bertha is worth a astounding 283 million. And... <laughs> And rising, because again, that's 1913. That's so a big gap between yeah, the two richest folks. Yeah. Um, now, Gustav, like his hero Alfred, wanted to build a nice, shiny new building to commemorate how great the firm was going. Now, he already had uh, Via Hugel, um, and they were starting to renovate it. Uh, Gustav and Bertha would kind of gut it, make sure the ventilation systems work. They put in wood paneling and like kind of decorated it to make it a proper 20th century estate rather than Alfred's little, you know, mansion of horrors. Weird cave. Yeah, yeah. his little weird like dimension. Yeah, how about we use this um this hidden pathway here that my skinny dad used to s- s- <laughs> Yeah, we well, use a little spy hole. Why don't we just shove some insulation in yeah. there just for noise? Right. Dude, so so we're going from Shark Tank to like one of those restoration shows now. This is perfect. Yeah, we're going to like Chip and Joanna Gaines territory. Yeah, the two Joanna twins Gaines that make type. out and sell houses. <laughs> yeah. This is no, the Magnolia they make out- Network. We are renovating Via Hoogle in the yeah, Essen no. uh, foothills. 
on the Magnolia Network, they're not making out. They're very Christian. They're very respectable. So. Well, they would they would come to this. They'd, they'd help out. This is, this is respectable. They're from Waco, are, Texas. Yeah, they probably love Germans. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, so what Al, uh, Gustav was planning, though, was a new headquarters for the Krupp firm. Um, so what he built, and this is a very long, this is one single German word that I'm going to try and pronounce. Ooh, they love doing that. They, they really love like it. eight words. Yeah. This is the Hauptwehrwaltungse Gebäude, the chief administration building. That sounded really good for the record. Yeah. Thank you. you. Thank you. It's a very long word. Yeah. Um, which, when built, uh, again, author William Manchester's book I'm reading for all this said, quote, it looked like the most depressing and drab building ever conceived by man. <laughs> and then wait until those concentration camps start going up. I mean, that, I, that's when he changed his tone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I looked at a picture of it. It looks like the most Soviet brutalist architecture you've ever seen. I was going to say, wait until they all right. redo all of the Sunni schools in a brutalist uh, <laughs> to, uh, style. Go to Binghamton. <laughs> yeah, go to go to Binghamton or New Paltz, or <laughs> not New Paltz, uh, Purchase, and you'll want to kill yeah. yourself. When I went to the uh, WWE production headquarters when I was working with them, that was a building. Let's talk about- Terrible. Terrifying. Ter- it, yeah. was a ho- it was um, all gated. I think I talked about it on the show a long time ago, but it was, yeah, just gated off. It looked like a prison. Yeah. And it was like, no, that's where we make happiness well that's Vince McMahon's happiness at least this prison <laughs> fitted the fact that they were making death machines you know yeah yeah exactly yeah. it's like oh that's scary I feel like I'm gonna die in there it's like well guess what they're building in there Funko yeah. Pops <laughs> no yeah it's, it's, it's Pop Rocks <laughs> yeah it fits the theme it fits you got an aesthetic right you know yeah. like it fits the aesthetic of Essen and of course within it's like this um, it's mostly brick but right. within a month, it's pitch black because it's just covered in soot. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Apparently so, in the basement is where they locked the giraffe from Toys R Us. <laughs> Vaporwave is out. It's been out. Now we're going to like Steel Wave, which is yeah. going to look Steel like wave. arms arms dealers from the Krups. You know? Um, so, Travis, you were at, asking about, you know, what are they building aside from arms? Um, well, Gustav, he was a... As, as weird as he was and as bureaucratic as he was, he had Wait, some Connor, prescient vision. Were they building legs? <sighs> Whoa! <laughs> That's good. That's clever. Five stars. Uh, no, right they here. were not building legs. What they were building is Alfred studied the Russo-Japanese war and goes, huh, I think uh, barbed wire is going to play a big role in the next uh, general European war. Spoiler alert, World War One. look at a picture. Barbed wire is everywhere. It's like confetti. So yeah. in 1911, three years before the outbreak of World War One, Gustav bought the largest wireworks in Germany and began only creating barbed wire. <laughs> right. So he's in a good position for when he, that war breaks out. He, he's like, you know, guess what? This uh, barbed wire, it can stop not only just cattle, but soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, no, take uh, your pick. Yeah. Really. Doesn't work on squirrels too well. They're no. small. All right. Yeah. Chipmunks, um, even worse. <laughs> Everything else bigger, fine. It's around this time that he also begins producing diesel engines. Um, someone that was in the firm came up with a good patent for one and sold it to Krupp. So now Krupp is building diesel engines. He looks at all these diesel engines. He's like, you know, we, we could actually make this bigger and then we could make a submarine out of Krupp style and pair it with our diesel engine and all of our like torpedo technology. And I think we could have something on our good on our hands. And that's when you won the first ever U-boat is christened, built oh, out of Krupp style. 
Were they? Did they invent the modern submarine? I no. don't really know the history of submarines. No, did not invent the submarine, but uh, the Germans, you could say, definitely perfected it as like a fighting vessel. Right. There were there were there, first like draft submarines in the Revolutionary War. Yeah, there subs were used you, in the American Civil War. Like yeah. one man, two man submarines were yeah, used. But, there, but there those were, were like man. those were like barrels with right, like a right. breathing hole. Like I'm no, talking about like a sub. A, a garden hose with a balloon <laughs> yeah. attached to the one end yeah. so you can kinda breathe. I think the French were the first to ever like have like bigger submarines as part of their navy, but it was the Germans who really like saw it as what's what could be the backbone of your navy. Mm. Right. Well, very smart. Apparently, yeah. uh, people that work in subs right now are being deployed into the Atlantic. Right. To keep an eye out on uh, just people just that were in the reserve on things. It's for getting like 10 exciting years at the shores. Going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like 1940 all over again. Um, so, not only are they building submarines, they're also building big battleships because Krupp Stahl is the steel that's used to lay down the keels and do the armor plating, and it's Krupp cannons that are now on the decks of all these big ships. So well, they're really are- expanding from just cannon to anything that the military can imagine they're going to make for you. These are what dreadnoughts, right? Or is the, the, this is a little exclusively yeah, is, British. Yeah, this is dreadnoughts, um, and then like super dreadnoughts also that they're starting to build. Why did we change it to battleship and destroyer? Dreadnought sounds so much cooler. Well, the dreadnought, or we can take this full tangent if you want. The dreadnought uh, yeah. was I'm just fine. a battleship that was built that was so good that that class of battleship just became to be known as dreadnoughts. And when Ooh. they built another battleship that was even better in it. They made them, that class of battleships was the super battleships, or super dreadnoughts, and the das dreadnought- Uber dreadnought? Yeah. The dreadnought never actually saw combat, because uh, it was like laid down in like the early 1900s and out of service by 1907 or something. Okay. So then World War One was fought not with dreadnoughts or super dreadnoughts, but rather the third generation after the dreadnought. Uh, okay. I just keep thinking of Bob Marley when you say that every time. <laughs> I don't know if that's When I think of me. Dreadnoughts, though, I always think of um, Warhammer 40K Dreadnoughts, because that was the first time I ever heard the word. Um, that, what, is that a game, or? It's kind of everything. Yeah, I, I've yeah. seen people with action figures on Started as a board game of miniatures. Yeah. There's, like, lore and books made about it, and there's video games. Shout out to it. Shout out to our listener, Alec, who's told me all about uh, Warhammer. I don't understand. Anybody speaking another language to me? Shout out to the God Emperor of the Imperium of Man. There you go. Four, like four people are going to understand what that means. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, anyway, the Krupp firm, they're building it all. Um, in 1912, Gustav is like, I want to have a big, big party to celebrate Alfred's 100th birthday, to celebrate 100 years of Krupp. So he has a three-day celebration planned. They give a uh, bonus to all of their employees that adds up to a total of 14 million marks being given out to their 100,000 or so employees. Okay, that's do, not bad. You, that's really nice. That, it's a big do you, bonus. Do you think they made steel frame glasses with like the two zeros and then the one here? Probably. Like 100 years of yeah. cups. <laughs> it costs 100 crup bucks. Yeah. You're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, it comes out of the bonus. Yeah. Yeah. You can build it and then you can buy it from us. Um, so it's a three-day celebration in Essen. The entire like Prussian and German elite comes. The Kaiser is there as always. Uh, they are planning to finish it off with a medieval joust, like a full-blown wearing armor, <laughs> horses tilting at each other. 
And at the last second, so there are pictures of all of this like getting set up. And at the last second, it was called off because in that morning, a mine shaft exploded and killed a hundred men. And they're like, it would be poor taste to do this joust. Right That's now. when you joust. <laughs> yeah, the so they fallen, didn't do the joust, but we, there's a the bunch of pictures miners. of it. <laughs> yeah. My God. Now, all this is happening to the backdrop of the greatest arms race the world has ever seen until the Cold War. Um, this is in the 19, early 1910s. This is like the peak of the naval race between Germany and England. Um, all the treaties and secret treaties that are going to come to play a big role when World War I breaks out. Um, now, there are hundreds, thousands of reasons why World War I happens. But one worth mentioning here for our story is that, one, the Krupps obviously played maybe the driving role in the arms race. They kind okay. of created what an arms race is. Right. We went over um, that with uh, with the previous crop. With Alfred, yeah. Alfred. And also, the Germans of this generation were being brought up on the stories of 1870, where, you know, the Krupp uh, cannons were superior to the French, the German tactics were superior to the French, so all the Germans were kind of drinking a Kool-Aid of, no, we're, we're the superior people. Right. Um, you know? It sounds very set up Kind Sounds, of very set up. Well, yeah, like, like if you raise a whole generation of kids to think that their country is so much better than any other, they're going to get a little bellicose and want to fight someone about it. Yeah. It's like, let me, uh, I'm dribbling my basketball down the court. Oh, wow. There's number uh, Hitler over there. Let me just uh, pass it to number Aryan man in the corner. Slam yeah. dunk. Yeah. There's got to be like, you really need balance. I've always been a big supporter of shame. Like, you have to shame people into understanding that they're disgusting pigs. Yeah. But then also, in the same breath, let them know that they're slightly better. Right. You don't want them to, like, feel like they need to go to war for their pride. Because the idea is, like, by the time they can fight, you've smothered it out of them. Right. Well, um, but, top- but you still want them to think that they're better than the, you know, stinking Canadians, you know, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Tom, I feel like that's very aligned with... You know, Tom mentioned that he's our our, our token Jew on the show. That's also kind of I don't I don't remember that. Yeah, you're also that's also aligned with lazy Catholicism. <laughs> I I'm no longer the Jew on the show because the last episode we had my sister on who just oh, okay. smells so much more Jewish than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, why am I? I so I I'm dropping that shtick. You're dropping it. Okay. I might drop one K word in the future, but that's it. All right. <laughs> Um, so Alfred, uh, Gustav rather would continue, uh, De Firma's, um, practice of drumming up war fever and selling to the Reich's potential enemies. So they're still selling to Russia, mm-hmm. still trying to sell to France and England, but not too successful. Right. And of course, Connor, selling to like Italy and all of them. I was going to ask the question. So they've got their dick in like the Vickers gun and like yeah. British, uh, gun making, like, that, isn't that like kind of like a conflict of interest? Are they like trying to sabotage, um, like Vicar and talk a lot about that soon? Okay, okay. So you are asking a you, lot of hot. You're questions. very prescient. Travis. Yeah, no, I, I was just, I'm using my brain. My brain. I basically, I'm like, when China involves, they're going to uh, get invades. They're going to Seattle first to sh- cut have off you the been shipping. Consuming lanes. the spice. See in the future. Travis, <laughs> have a drink. Yeah. Now. Uh, in this period, like 1909-1910, uh, there's a big scandal that involves the Krupp firm. It was revealed that agents of the Krupp firm were bribing German military officials in Berlin for information. 
they would leak that information to the French government and French military leaders. The French government and military leaders would lose their minds and be like, oh shit, Germany is about to attack us. We need to order a bunch of like new guns and new stuff from our supplier, not from Krupp because he couldn't sell, he didn't sell much to the French. But then those same Krupp agents would go back to Germany and say, look at all the shit the French are buying. You need to buy more from us. Why wouldn't he just, why did he go steal the information from the Germans? Why didn't he just make it up? Because then could have avoided being under any, just spread a rumor or two. Well, that didn't work for them. They wanted the, they wanted the real thing. So they were selling the German military secrets to the French. BuzzFeed didn't exist until, I don't know, 15 years ago. So (laughs) look, we've seen yellow journalism before this point. You can have yellow spying. Yeah, but it reaches its height at BuzzFeed. They just make up shit as they go on. Are they even around anymore? I never even see BuzzFeed. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're, I don't know, Daily Beast. I can't <laughs> believe that's a legitimate source. Daily Beast. The Daily well, Beast. That's the thing. The you just use, I can't, you use a term, I can't believe that's a legitimate source. You don't have to believe it because they're not a legitimate source. It's true. But they do do inside reporting nowadays. That's what we get. The Daily Beast is giving us legitimate journalism. <laughs> I uh, I just read Fox News backwards. Oh, that's smart. I read it oh, in the mirror. Cool. Yeah. And yeah. then what that does to my brain is makes me think. There you go. Makes you think, and, dude. Uh, yeah. Makes you get deep, dude. Yeah. Um, Getting the facts I want. Now, you guys are expressing concern. You know, why are they doing this? Why are they risking it? You know, why are they actually stealing the secrets? Well, it yeah, didn't matter I, My to them. concern comes from the dirty game could have been played scot-free. Uh, well, it didn't matter because here were the consequences for the Krupp firm for basically committing treason. Okay. The mm. military officers themselves were jailed for only six months. Cute. And a small number of Krupp uh, agents and, like, officials were given shorter jail sentences or in most cases just given a small fine. Right. So it's kind of the situation where like Edward Snowden needs to like flee the country and live in Russia, but like Steve Bannon and Oliver and yeah. John was it Stone what John, Oliver no, Stone Oliver, Oliver, Oliver Wood. You mean the Oliver. the military colonel in the Iran Contra yeah, affair? Yeah, or what's, yeah. what's Oliver who's North? The Stone, Oliver North, Stone guy. Are you talking about Peter Stone. No, Peter North. Yeah, you're Peter talking about Roger, North. You're talking about Roger Stone. Roger Stone over there. I'm talking and about Peter Oliver North. North. You're talking about Oliver North. Uh, and Peter I'm going to say this has been a wash. <laughs> yeah. This one. Yes. I'm just saying. They they get nothing. The war scare is so prevalent at this time that Germany had been crafting their secret war plans for what to happen when they inevitably get into war with both Russia and France at the same time. This is famous. It's called the Schlieffen Plan, created by, uh, I forget his first name, General Schlieffen of the German General Staff. The idea was... We're gonna. The Russians are gonna take long time to mobilize, so we'll beat the French first, and then we'll fight the Russians. How do we beat the French first? Well, one simple trick: invade through neutral Belgium. It'll be an undefended border on both sides, and we just swoop down to Paris. War's over. Now we can focus on the Russians. That's the short of it. I remember listening to about twelve hours of Dan Carlin talk about the von Schlieffen plan, but I don't oh remember God. anything about it. But he so sounds good. really nice. Yeah. Now, uh, the hinge point, uh, going through Belgium, one big problem that comes up in the 1890s and early 1900s is the Belgians kind of recognize, like, all right, we're 
we're basically just a doorstop between Germany and France. Someone's going to invade through us. So how do we make ourselves look unappealing to invade when we're such a small country? Let's build a big fortress. And what do they do? They build a super fortress around the city of Liège. It's a series of like 15 to 20 forts that each of fort is like six or seven stories tall, but the bottom five to six stories are underground. It has elevator systems that can bring cannons up into little firing ranges. They shoot out of these little holes and then go back into the ground where they can be hidden. Um, each of these fortresses, like a mini city, can host like 10,000 men. Wow. Uh, it has machine gun posts and it's just all surrounding this one city that has like a dominating view of the surrounding countryside for like 60 miles. Now you're talking about Belgium here. So I know that this, this happened because you're not going to go into detail, but for some reason it feels like one of those like fever dreams where this right. didn't actually happen. <laughs> right. like like Belgium like, oh, is a super fortress. What are you talking about? This is what Belgium's going to do. They're going to build a big old 10,000 people yeah. ready to go. It's Fucking the whole country. <laughs> dripping in chocolate, yeah. ready to shoot out of well, elevated They call cannons. them chocolate soldiers. That's what the Did... Germans referred to them as. Oh, my gosh. They're or... like, these, these are just chocolate soldiers. We'll brush them off. Yeah, soon uh... to be little Tintins. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> now, obviously. It sounds too good. Because it's this time and these fortresses are massive, everyone knows about it. So even the German general staff knows that these fortresses exist. Um, one of the German generals, uh, Erich von Ludendorff, who would lead this campaign, he would spend his summer vacations in this countryside to scout, basically. That's so cool. for like 10 years before World War One breaks out, he was spending his springs and summers in the Belgian countryside being like, oh, well, that path there, we can lead a division down. We can put cannon here. They'll oh. be able to reach to these places. And they're kind of all planning for this war that they know is coming. That's yeah, such all, a, of, all of Europe is doing this. That's it's not just a, Germans. That's such a sneaky, sneaky German thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are you doing I in love, Belgium? I love to go to Belgium. We have the beautiful countryside. I drink the wine chocolate. Yeah, right. Don't I mind my me and my wife conquest. and my two kids uh, who are wearing Von Dutch hats. Don't worry <laughs> about them. <laughs> We're just looking at the different trees in the area. By the way, do you have an extensive map system of all the roads and Rail yards. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to uh, we're trying to go to f what is the best place to eat in the area. I heard that there's a McDonald's inside of one of these forts. <laughs> that this is, is a just... must go. They every time the they French fries are good. Yeah. Yeah. This is just my casual serving equipment. Yeah, yeah. I, I also went very Swedish for a blatantly German man. Well, so I mean, I, it sounds like you were like he was pretending to be Belgian in your I'm scenario. Trying to get along. There you go. Maybe if that it's McDonald's Dutch than isn't open, <laughs> you can point us to the nearest checkers for our <laughs> holiday vacation in the Belgium countryside. What the fuck's checkers? It's rallies, bitch. No, this is up north, okay? Here we're having checkers and they're having delicious fries for us to have. Yeah. Okay? Thank so, you. The German general staff <laughs> is aware of this problem. They're aware of all these bunkers, aware of these big fortresses that are buried deep within the earth. And they're kind of like, all right, how are we going to march our army? Because we need to, this needs to happen quick. We need to get right through Liège in order to invade France. So what are we going to do? Well, let's go to the armory of the Reich. Let's go to Defirma and see what they can come up with. So they go to Krupp. They're like, hey, we need you to just find out how we can destroy these fortresses. And they need to be destroyed quickly. So what can we do? Again, this is in peacetime. This is all happening. 
So Krupp comes up with a gun. Well, not him, but uh, one of his artillery people that he had assigned to it. And by the way, when I'm saying Krupp as a person, that's Gustav now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, the old Just name to clarify. Change. Yeah. So here's what they come up with. And they build two of these guns to have at the start of the war. It's a 17-inch howitzer. The 17 inches refers to the diameter of the barrel. Size so of it's penis. An in, a foot and a half long is the barrel. So that's how wide the shells are that are going into this. Jesus. It's more powerful than any artillery cannon ever made. It required 200 different specialists to make the whole thing work. And it fired an armor-piercing delay-action shell, and it had a range of nearly 10 miles. Now, the delay-action and armor-piercing means that, in theory, when it goes into the fort, it'll the shell will continue to go into the deeper levels, and then maybe... 30 seconds to a minute later, that's right. when it, it will explode. It's not exploding on impact. It's not exploding it's, on impact. Right. It's not exploding and then explode. in the air, which is another thing that Krupp had perfected, was airburst shells. That was right. something else Krupp did. It's a huge waste. Is this... So, airburst shells really good against infantry, not yeah. good against a fort. Right. Um, is this what they colloquially... I hate that word. It's um, a bad word. Call, I don't think that's... Oh. That, that word's never been said properly on the show. Don't co- you start, Connor. Cloacal, colloquial, colloquial. What were we talking about? Cloacally. Yeah, is that is that, is that uh, what they call bunker busters? They, they could be called bunker busters, but the German troops gave them a different name. Both of these guns were called Big Bertha. Big uh, Bertha, baby! Big Bertha, after one Bertha Krupp. And those... Big old milkers sitting no. in front of the piano. Sorry, guys, I messed up this uh, Wagner song <laughs> because my tits got in the way. Yeah. Now, the guns were ready just in the nick of time. They were finished and completed and finished their uh, firing trials in the early summer of 1914, also known as the summer that the world went mad because that's when the Archduke is met, assassinated, war breaks out all over across Europe. Germany's fighting Russia, they're fighting Belgium, they're fighting England, and they're fighting France. And it's all happening right at the beginning. Now, we can probably imagine Gustav felt a lot like his hero Alfred at this time, when Alfred was in 1870, you know? It's his guns that have armed the Reich. Um, He knows a lot is riding on what he has done. He's nervous, he's excited, and more importantly, just like Alfred, he's preoccupied with what's going on at Via Hugel, because remember, Via Hugel is being built when war broke out in 1870, and it's undergoing major renovations in 1914 as war breaks out. Right, right. so when war broke out the last time, he was like, uh, our boy Alfred was like, hey, French people, can you give me these the marble or yeah. something? Right? <laughs> yeah, the li- you need the limestone from the Paris yeah. quarries. <laughs> Um, so he doesn't need the Paris wood, but it, he is living in like the shack next door because the whole house is gutted. So it's just like a weird coincidence that both of them were undergoing major renovations of their homes when war breaks out with Germany. It's hard, you know. My father is a contractor, and these rich people they they're like, I've never, I've never felt so much pressure in my life. I can't use my kitchen for two weeks. These people are out of their minds. Could you imagine a guy who builds weapons for a living? Yeah. There's a yeah, war happening, Tom, and he still can't use a fucking microwave? He's, Tom, he must be insane. They don't even use their kitchens. They have their kitchen staff use the kitchen. You mean to tell me I can't catch my kitchen staff fucking because I have to live somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my God. You mean I can't throw this almost expired cranberry juice out? I have to wait 
So you because know there's a, they, because there's a drop cloth in front of my Viking refrigerator. I can't I make like everyone cold. <laughs> the Super Bowl just happened, and like there's you know they have those things where it's like we went to the fucking Pittsburgh Zoo and the fucking our village our zoo mole. This is definitely. Guess, we'll guess the team that wins. Like, is that what you just have to do with Castle Hoogle? Like, is it doing renovations? Will the world go to war? Yeah. Well, I wonder, like, if, if they ever did renovations again after, where they're like, is war going to break out? I haven't gotten to 1939 yet, so I wonder if in 1939... We're going to see. There's also going renovations. It's a scene at the end of Jumanji when the two kids' parents are like, we're going to go skiing. And Robin Williams they, and the blonde yeah. bitch are like, no, don't no, go no, skiing. No, no, no. <laughs> Are they going to do are do are they doing like restorations right now in 2022? Are we going to find out if we're going to go to war? Maybe. Again? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. God. God save us from that paint job. Yeah. Um so for those who don't know about World War 1, um whereas World War 2 kind of builds to a crescendo, or it's like the last months of the war is the most intense fighting. World War 1's the reverse. The most intense fighting and the majority of the casualties happen in the first 2 months because that's when everyone's moving about. And well, it's also because they didn't know what they were yeah, they fighting. Also didn't I mean, know the French what they were doing. The French were walking into battle wearing like leopard skins. Yeah, they're wearing <laughs> red, they're wearing red pants, white gloves, yeah. and bright blue shirts. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. that were, really is a cool. They look. were marching in column, uh, singing songs <laughs> as the Germans who are in gray uniforms wearing coal helmets were just manning machine guns. Those those yeah. fuckers couldn't carry a tune if it's to save their <laughs> yeah. life. They just saw one eins zwei eins zwei. Yeah. They're goosed up yeah. in their way. Yeah, then. guys, uh, with, uh, with, uh, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, let's <laughs> go get killed, please. Yeah, there's one guy going, And the only reason he's there is because he's late. Mm-hmm. So the scale of the war, the ferocity of the war, right off the bat, shocks all the nations of Europe. Thousands and thousands are dead. I think a million die within the first month of fighting. Jeez. Um, and like, in one day, I know uh, ninety thousand Frenchmen were killed in a single battle in one day. So it's heinous, heinous shit. Uh, Germany is moving through Belgium. They're a little ahead of schedule, and then they get to the super fortress city of Liège with the massive fortresses. They first try to just do it the old-fashioned way, not working. These Belgian chocolate soldiers are much stronger than they expected. So it's time to call in the big Berthas. Gotta see so, if these are worth the investment. I've seen some uh, photos, and I think this might have been from the Second World War, actually. But was Big Bertha like rolled out on rail? Because I know they had these, the Germans had those big rail guns. That, like, yeah. they literally had to lay down, um, you know, railroad track to move this gun because it was yeah, so they, big. Yeah, they had to be moved on rail. Um, I think the ones you're thinking of is later in the war and in World War II. The Krupps would develop guns that. Rather than um, like transported by rail, then move to where they need to shoot, and then shooting, they would just transport by rail, and then they would fire on the railway. That way, the recoil would just be like sliding back on the rails, rather right, than right. Like having to what they did with the big Berthas, which is they had to basically build a foundation, put them in the foundation. They would seal it all up. It would fire. The foundation would shatter and crack rebuild the foundation, fire the second round. That's fucking insane. Yeah, but it was the only way to use these guns. Uh, Moving them proved way harder than they thought, especially because the Belgians had blown a bunch of tunnels and bridges. So the last 11 miles they moved on road using a mix of cattle and manpower. So like 
horse teams and oxen teams are transporting these super weapons across the Belgian countryside. A Once horse they're in place, saves the day again. Horse, horse is saving the day. Um, and maybe you know the horse manure, like the smell of it, the Krupp steel could the steel itself was yeah. getting Alfred's, you know, you know, I um, juice going. I was just talking with my father-in-law. Apparently, they would have been much better off with donkeys. Probably donkeys. Donkeys can pull more than horses, I mean, but they just can't go as fast. Ah. Well, donkeys are just like inbred, retarded horses. They are. And well, they're mares and yeah. jackasses. Jackasses. Yeah. 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 So takes a long time to finally get them into place. It actually is a two-day delay, and um, people actually will say that that two-day delay may have caused the Germans to lose the war because if they're just a little bit faster, they might have taken Paris within the first month. Gustav must have been so pissed. He's just like, what well, have I been telling this you about is, time? It's way more in hindsight that people are like, all right, yeah, I know, but he, this probably drove him fucking insane. Yeah, He's just like, oh, yeah. we time, late, time, time. We, we were late, and that's why we lost? Yeah. Can you kill me? Everyone, Everyone's lunch got skipped in Essen. Sorry, no lunch. No, no lunch, lunch the rest no of the lake, you idiot. You're late. My God. Now, let's go over what it took to f- just fire these guns. As I said, they had to build the foundations. It took a fine ton of time to get them there. Um, once they're finally assembled, the firing team has to prepare these yard-long shells. So they're three feet wide by a foot and a half uh, long. Or three feet long, foot and a half wide. Um, they have to wear special padding all across their bodies to protect their vital organs from the shockwave of the cannon firing. Woo. Otherwise, they would like rupture all their internal organs. They had to lay down on the ground 300 yards away, and they also stuffed cotton into their ears, um, or else they would all go deaf just from the firing of the gun. 300 yards away, and they still have to wear that gear? Yeah. 300 oh my yards. God. Yeah. Um, when the shell was finally fired... It rose nearly a mile into the sky. It would take a full minute for it to take its full arc up and then down. And the first one was fired into the Fort Pontice. It buried itself deep within the structure. And one shell, no more fort. They were that good. Damn. Instantly, like, vaporized the whole thing, sunk the fort down to its foundations, all the Belgians inside, dead. Was That's how this, good these guns were. That is insane. Yeah. Um, do you know, was this used on Fort Duvaux? Is that a fort in Liège? It was in, later in the, I think it was in France. Was it, Oh, was it in Verdun? Yeah. Not these ones. These ones, these cannons are used only, basically only for this Battle of Liège because they're short mortars, basically. Okay. So and they as, can only move them so far. Yeah, yeah, they can only move them so far. They have a long range, but. Um, it's just not like feasible for like a, a battle like Verdun. It's more for like a siege, right? Um, and over the next forty-eight hours, every single fort surrounding the uh, city would meet this exact same fate. Here's what one Belgian defender who was inside the city, so not in any of the forts, um, recalled seeing it because you could you could see it happen on the horizon. Basically, um, here's his quote: "The metal monster advanced in two parts." The ground trembled. The crowd remained mute with consternation. The monster was carefully mounted and scrupulously aimed. Then came the frightful explosion. The crowd was flung back. The earth shook as if there had been an earthquake, and all the window panes in the neighborhood were shattered. And that's in the city, so like a mile away from the fort itself. That's what's happening because of these explosions. God damn. Liege is taken. The German army rolls through. 
thanks to Krupp's cannons. Um, but, you know, their, their big plan to end the war within a month does not happen. But Gustav, for his efforts, is going to be awarded the Iron Cross First Class. This is one of the highest honors the German military could bestow. Now, just for reference, a different mem- uh, German would receive the Iron Cross First Class, and this is what they had to do to get this award. They fought for four years in the trenches. They were wounded uh, grievously twice, and in one combat, they single-handedly captured 15 enemy soldiers. Who was that person? Adolf Hitler. That's how Adolf Hitler won his Iron Cross. Gustav just built a bunch of cannons. What's harder, really? <laughs> right. You know, what is hard? Like, the cannon is just big. It's very big. It's very big. I, you know, but a Hitler may have been awarded his Iron Cross for painting pictures of cats and buildings. Yeah. We just don't know. He was denied from the art school, but he could have been painting on the, on the front line. He might and, have. Uh, true. Yeah. yeah. Who who really? He was designing posters for the trenches. He was the, he was designing the original memes, cheering <laughs> up the you. troops, making fun of the chocolate soldiers. Yep. <laughs> so the war obviously did not end in 1914, but Gustav is in full blown war fever. He's already drawn up plans uh, for a new world order once the inevitable German victory that he's envisioning happens. Whoa, society is not a big gun, man. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> slow down. Yeah. Uh, this is one of his letters. I think it was to the Kaiser. Um, quote, German culture and civilization will direct the progress of humanity. To fight and conquer for such a goal is worth the price of noble blood. Kind of giving away his uh, 1930s endgame here. Um. So obviously the war is a big boom to a weapons manufacturer. Immediately, right. Krupp firm doubles their number of employees, basically overnight. They're now employing some 20,000 women. Women of all people. What were they doing? Whoa, Working in they- the factories. The men had to go to the front. They're making those hard-boiled eggs for Essen. Yeah, yeah it's uh, not Rosie the Riveter, but it's... Uh, Gertrude, Gertrude the, the, the uh, Krupinier, I guess. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, one of the things that I think is so interesting, I mean, it's interesting and terrifying about World War One, and I feel like a lot of these ordinance probably came from Krupps or was fired by Krupps, is that, like, you can still, like, they're still exploding ordinance today. Yeah. From World War One and World War Two, but even mostly World, World War, War One. Yeah, yeah. Well, mostly World War One because it's the same battlefield for the next four years. That's the yeah. scariest part. Is like, it's, yeah, that, the front line didn't move. Yeah, and, over, over a hundred years of yeah. like that's how much ordinance was, was something fired. like as late as like the early two thousands. On average, five French farmers were dying a year to World War One ordinance exploding on their farms. Like That's, five yeah, a year. Crazy. Yeah. It's insane. It's really insane to think about. To really drive that home, here's the Krupp firm's production numbers in the first couple of years of the war. So the first year, um, don't have these specific numbers because it was just like the short last few months in 1914. But in 1915, they're producing 8 million shells a year. By 1916, the firma was sending out. 9 million shells and 3,000 artillery pieces every single month. Holy fuck. So 36 million artillery rounds in the year. And that would only increase until 1918. That's like a Bezos or Zuck amount of artillery. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. Now, Travis, you had mentioned what 
does isn't that a conflict of interest with his uh, Vickers patent agreements? Right, because that's what's killing your Germans or the Vickers guns. Well, if you find any of those British shells that's still stuck in the French and Belgian mud and countryside, you'll probably see on the side of it, it'll have an imprint uh, with the letters and numbers KPZ96-04. KPZ stands for Krupp. The 9604 stands for the 1896 and 1904 patent agreements that Krupp had made with Vickers. And these agreements would stay throughout the war. Oh, and shit. Even though the government said, you know, stop printing that and, like, don't give the other firm money, because also, like, Krupp owned some Vickers patents so that he owed him some money. Both firms secretly kept a running log of how much the other firm was using their patents so that when the war finally ended, the Krupp firm um, and the Vickers firm kind of compared numbers and were like, all right, you owe us this much money. Right, so he was making for money murdering from murdering German he, soldiers. Yeah, he was making money from not only the Germans, but he was making money making from money the British. Making money from the British. Yep. Jeez. Uh, it was estimate Krupp would estimate um, that Vickers owed him 60 marks for every single dead German soldier. That was the God rate damn. it worked out to. It's a lot of money. A lot of scratch. Also, yeah. another little side note about the Vickers gun was you know, it was a water-cooled barrel, so they'd fill it up with water. Right. Um, if they ran out of water, you'd fill up with piss. Mm. Oh, so yeah, we were uh, hearing about that. The piss guns. The piss guns. Yeah, it's a piss gun. Pretty much. It's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was also during the war that the horrors of Nazism could start to be seen in Germany because Krupp and some of his buddies went to the Kaiser and other uh, German military leaders and were like, "Hey." You keep conscripting young men for the front. You know, we're putting in older men in the workforce, putting women in the workforce. It's not enough. How about you just round up a bunch of Belgian civilians that we can just shove in the factories and not pay? And they go, great idea. Slave labor. Why didn't we think of that? So the concentration camps, Gustav is kind of like forming his own little proto-concentration camp with Belgian civilians at this time. Hey, I mean, what? They were the Second Reich. I mean, the Romans loved slave labor. Yeah. Now, it was Krupp Steel, like I said, producing all the U-boats, and that's dragging in uh, the U.S. into this war. And we're not going to go too much into World War One because it drags, it's back and forth, it all stays stagnant. All yeah, we need we'll to have... know for the Krupp firm is that they make a boatload of money from it. We've talked about World War One. I'm sure we'll talk about World War One in the future when we talk about other generals and things like that. We don't need to go into deets on this one. Yeah. And also, uh, so... We'll... Skipping towards the end of the war, um, you know, in World War II, basically in, by 1942, everyone knew the Allies are going to win the war. It's just what's that victory going to look like? World War I, very different. Even by 1918, the Germans had a chance to win. Um, in the spring, they launched these massive offensives that they hope, because also Russia's out of the war by this point, America's still just kind of finding their power. So Germany can win it before too many Americans come. Um, And these spring offensives give one last chance for the Krupp firm to show what they are capable of because they're getting close to Paris again. And they're about 80-something miles from Paris, so not in range of any guns. And then all of a sudden, one day, French people start hearing weird sounds and things start exploding in Paris. And no one knows why because they're not in range. There are no planes flying overhead, so what's doing this? Um, there is like rumors that they had like smuggled a single gun, like 10 miles outside the city. And were just like, it was a small team of like 20 dudes doing it by themselves. There are other rumors that it was saboteurs. The truth wouldn't come out until after the war, 
because what was happening is the Krupps had built what they called the Paris Cannon, which had a range of over 80 miles. Shit! Um, so they were 80 miles uh, from the f- French capital. They would fire these shells. These shells were specifically designed for the cannons, and the barrels of the cannons were like so big, and the power it took to fire these shells was so weird that the barrel would expand every time it fired. Wow. It got that hot? It got wow. that hot that it would expand so that each shell was numbered like one through 67 or whatever because each shell was specifically designed to accommodate, accommodate the, the, the widening of the barrel. Yee! So you had to shit. fire all these shells in order. Um, and then once it fired 70-something shells, you replace the barrel and you get a new round of shells in. Why? So here's why do the Germans always come out with the technology that will ultimately win the war at the very last moment? Because in World War II, the, they came the up Germans, with jet fighters. yeah, they just dis- they discovered how to do jet fighters and fucking rocket propelled grenades, you know, or rocket not rocket propelled rockets, right? Like rockets, uh, just straight like rockets, Tomahawk rocket, like the V two yeah. rocket, right? Yep. Um, well, these shells, uh, they would fly 26 miles into the air. It's believed that these were the first ever man-made objects to reach the ionosphere of the Earth, which is Damn. pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. However, the shelling itself, kind of useless because it wasn't accurate at all. It could hit Paris. It couldn't hit a part of Paris. Right. It so they're just downtown. Dis- yeah. They're yeah. indiscriminately right. shelling Paris. One yeah, shell oh, one day would kill nobody. It would just like wound a couple of ducks in the park. And then the next day it would hit a church during Sunday mass and kill 120 people. Right. Oh no, Pierre's orange stand is gone. What yeah. will we miss? They <laughs> get oranges down in the rue. Bordello. Uh, we'll the, the other Pierre's orange stand. <laughs> yeah. Um, now the war is not going well for Germany. The Paris cannon doesn't drive the French to surrender. If anything, it just enraged the entire world that Germany is a bunch of bloodlusted maniacs that needs to be destroyed. The offensives of the spring peter out over the summer, and by late summer, the Allies have now started to push back all the German advances. Germany is retreating like crazy. Huge amounts of units are surrendering. There's political discontent. And basically, to everybody, except two people... The war is going bad for Germany. Those two people, the Kaiser and Gustav Krupp, they still believe that, no, victory is right around the corner. Well, the Kaiser's out of his mind. Kaiser's and, out of his mind. And Krupp's making so much money that it's it all looks good yeah, on he's paper. blind to the figures, and also he's such a servile dude that he sees the Kaiser say we're going to win, so he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to win. Yeah, Kaiser we're going to so. win. Um, in September of 1918, uh, the German army is basically collapsing, and... Even the Kaiser starts to realize how bad it's gotten. At one point, he comes to visit the Krupp works and kind of tries to like rally the men of the Krupp uh, workers. And it's the first time that he gets like an icy reception from the workers. They basically booed him. And this is a guy who had like life or death over them. So it's this huge humbling experience where all the Krupps kind of just like the Krupp workers basically laugh him out of the factory. Right. And it's like this so- big humiliation. So it's like when Bezos originally opened up a fulfillment center in a town that's kind of dead. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, fucking fulfill- Amazon Fulfillment Center. Right. And like if he showed up now and they're like, oh, boo, get out of here, you fucking idiot. The German military might's collapsing. Um, political situations also collapsing. In late October, uh, they start 
secretly sending out feelers for an armistice with the allies. Um, this is all kind of comes together very quickly and Gustav's still holding out hope that maybe we can win because again, in world war one, Germany, not a single battle was fought on German soil. The Germans invaded France, pushed them back. And for four years, the war is fought on French and Belgian soil. Right. And it didn't move that much. Yeah. And that's why it kind of gives into this like whole stabbed in the back theory that we're going to talk about later of like, well, the war, the German army never retreated. How did they lose the war? Well, they lost the war because they were running out of food. But Gustav still doesn't think that. They think they're going to keep going. And then uh, the Kaiser doesn't fully abdicate, but kind of like flees the country in early November. So there's a provisional government running everything. And then in November 8th, something unthinkable happens. Orders come from Berlin that all uh, military contracts and purchase orders have been canceled. We're not buying anything else from you anymore. And then the craziest thing of all happens on November 9th, for the first time in over 110 years, the Krupp Steelworks go silent. Nothing's being produced in Essen. All oh, the Krupp here is staying home. No one's going on to the factory floor. Reportedly, it's like two days late. Two, so two days later is November 11th. That's the armistice day. The war is over. And it's reportedly either on that day or the next day that the soot and smoke and smog that had been hovering over the city for years and decades floats away in the wind and they see sunshine for the first time <laughs> goes a long way there are blue skies over the country over the over the factories for the oh, first time did that make some one of the Kruppeneers go oh wait maybe i am doing something fucking terrible hey yeah. you know Literally i want to make sky. art <laughs> what is that color i want to go read books i thought the sky was this brown green gray <laughs> shit one day that'll happen in Beijing or Wuhan. They'll yeah. see the light. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they're going to destroy the sun before yeah. they. Uh... <laughs> but the Krupp works go silent. There are no hammers being, there's nothing being forged in the city. But that will not be the end of the Krupps. We're going to pick up this story in part two, where they rearm the German Reich and will once again lead the German people into a war that they believe they're going to win quickly. And that's part one of Gustav. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. This topic. This oh su- yeah. This this Krupp shit is. Uh, I I really like this format where we're covering a bigger chunk of history. Yeah. Um, it, it's painting a fantastic picture. Uh, one thought I had was, if you, like, from what you're telling me about this Krupp thing, you know how like after World War One, Germany was just like desolate yeah with the debt that they were given from all the other countries they had that treaty all and the reparations like, uh, they the paid reparations. that off in like 2010 too by the way yeah yeah but like and then but after world war ii they made it so that couldn't happen anymore yeah that's like, why they did the marshall plan the marshall plan right but it's like i'm not surprised that they did this because of how much money was actually going into germany yeah because like yeah. you gotta think the, the versailles thing was like hey you gotta pay us all back now all this debt, it made sense if you know about this Krupp thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you don't know that, like, this isn't taught in schools. So, like, you're taught, oh, yeah, we're, uh, Germany was uh, destroyed by debt, and that's why they started this whole, like, Third World Reich. War II, yeah. Third Reich thing. It's like, oh, this makes sense, actually. Their debt yeah. was, like, 
acquired because they had taken so much money from people, but it was all privatized. Yeah, right. All he private. was double dealing. I mean, he was making money off of the al- well, the Allies, the British, and the Germans. Yeah, one right. of the first things we'll be talking about in part two is like how Krupp and Vickers settled their dispute of like who owes who what from the war that just happened that right. killed a couple million people on each side. Who owes who money? Let's oh, lol. Out. Yeah, that's what they're already trying to figure out with Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll see what the Krupp firm how they adapt to this uh, quote unquote disarmed Germany. Gustav's not going to stand for that, and no. uh, we'll see. Is it the politicians that were driving rearmament in Germany, or was it Krupp himself who created all the plans for it? Oh, so next well, week we get to talk about stormtroopers and not Star Wars stormtroopers. Nope, the yeah. the scary kind, the scary kind. Talk about the all the different two letter abbreviations like the SA, the SS, all Ooh. that, all the fun all right. ones. Oh yeah, all, all the yeah, the scary ones, the boogeymen's. Yep. Yeah, uh, this isn't your Disney here. There's no stormtrooper that's all in silver and fights the good black Han Solo in the new <laughs> series. It's just mean men. Yeah, it's mean, the actual Nazis. It's actually, it's come full circle. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, George Lucas is like, ah. No, instead we're going yeah. actual Nazis now. Yeah. 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 He's like, ah, let me make these spacemen out of porcelain <laughs> yeah. look, like, look like Nazis. And now everyone's just like, I love Disney and I want to punch a Nazi in the face. Yep. He's like, you've never yeah. even seen one. <laughs> <laughs> don't even know. They just wear yeah. brown shirts, dog. You know, <laughs> they're, uh, real ones dress better than you. Not yep. these fat guys down south that, that, <laughs> that try to get Yeah, they look good. They're, they're dressed, what was... Uh, Hugo, Boss. Hugo Boss. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, Hugo yeah. Boss. One of my favorites. Hug your boss. That's Hug really... Your boss. <laughs> Hug your boss. That's... Uh, <laughs> they sold it that Dude, way. Dude, the fashion world loves Nazis. Coco they Chanel, do. Hugo Boss. I can't believe it. Every Nazi was gay. I'm putting it on the record now. Okay. Um, guys, good episode tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I had a great right. time with this one. Uh, yeah. Continue the story of Gustav and Bertha. They meet a meet a lovely young Bavarian man that will play a big role in their family life. All right. Oh, big Very Bertha, nice. big yeah. Bavaria. Oh, oh yeah. um, just one little note on Big Bertha. She reportedly did not like that nickname <laughs> that the guns were called. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Uh, yeah. You know, she just never heard that um, that Louis Prima song. There's a Louis Prima song where he talks about how. Uh, you know, his woman is as big as a house, a yeah. two-family house with a fence, and a, yeah, I love that. So it's yeah. so much fun. It's so jovial. She's like, "Hey, a big birthday. Mm-hmm. Do you, There's more do to you, love. You know why not? Yeah. Do you think Anola thought it was nice when people called her gay, and then they they nuked a, a Japanese city in the Anola gay? Right. Come on. Yeah. Think about that. Think about. Think it. about it. I also, listen to that scooter song. It <laughs> always goes back to a song at the end of the day, and to with that, I'll say goodbye. I like the uh, the family, the yeah. uh, the von who's the it? von traps, von traps, the von yeah. Krups. Von traps. <laughs> yeah, guys, hello, goodbye. Hello, hello, goodbye. The bees are scary. The trees are scary. Goodbye, goodbye, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> All right, awesome. Patreon.com slash roastmortemcast. Social medias, things like that. Thanks to the script, Connor, Travis. You're looking good today. You're you're looking sharp. I'm gonna give you a traditional German goodbye. A dankum shenium. Danke. Danke.